This is Ray and Swapna. Welcome to the Dreams and Hope podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey where we explore faith, hope, and dreams in the context of the lived experience of being human. Welcome. We have a small live audience for a few minutes. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's easy to get into the conversation and forget forget that someone's ever going to listen to you right. or We're- if there is anyone listening. But no, we don't uh, expect anybody to ever listen, but people do. I hope no one listens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so today it's been a while since we recorded anything and I have been wanting to really look at the two or three books that I've read in the last couple of years that have been kind of like my journals in the journey of kind of just digging deep and exploring parts of myself that were imperfect and uh, not not so pretty and messy and um, and it's been it's been a journey not so pleasant at times and really gratifying at times so well, the, first... uh, j- before you read the the quote the um, journey you've been on and um, and anybody that's been listening to dreams and hope and even our previous podcast experience, um, we have both been on a journey of not only discovery, but also um, compassion. You've talked a lot about compassion. Um, This idea that we thought we had everything together and then we realized we didn't because there's there's some fractures, I guess, you know, in the experience. Um, And so you, these two books, and you're going to tell us what the books are, but these these books, along with others and other experiences, kind of help us be a holistic person, or at least maybe see where our gaps are. Is that is that true, or is it like because I mean, part of your journey has been discovery after a successful career. Yeah, you know, the way I would frame it is the books, the things that I'm attracted to, the connections are kind of things that I maybe seek and uh, the books are maybe answering a call, mm. the connections, the activities that I've done are maybe answering a call that uh, that is deeper than what I've done before. I, I would say that it's kind of like post-COVID, so I feel like things kind of shifted for me mm-hmm. maybe a couple of, a year or two before COVID, but really... Uh, really, I changed careers. Uh, I was I was at OU for like twelve years. I was an academic, and it I I kind of paused uh-huh. and went to this self reflective place, which uh, at times was messy and imperfect. But uh, I feel like it's it's been an interesting journey. And so, the two books that uh, that I've been uh, the two books out of so many things that I've been uh thinking about are the gifts of imperfection by Brené brown and braving the wilderness and actually braving the wilderness is a gift from one of my closest friends who's a psychiatrist in london and so i feel like uh she's all she and my other friend have been on this journey with me and so it's it's, it's it doesn't feel like a lonely journey 
So I don't know do how to COVID... really describe the books and my experience reading them, though. Do you think COVID gave you permission to pause? I mean, you said that there was a transition happening before COVID, but did COVID give you permission along with the rest of the world to kind of reevaluate their li- our lives? Because I know this shift was happening before, and maybe you were working on it and eventually going to get there, but maybe COVID sped it up. I think COVID was the nudge. Yeah. It was not, yeah. for me, it was not like the reason that the shift no, no, no. happened, but it's just like I feel like there was this first six months in COVID where my parents were with me and uh, I really liked having them here. They live in India and they live in another country. So it, this is the longest time after I got married, which was like in 2001, that I've spent this kind of yeah. close time with my parents, especially my father who's been busy with his career so it's it mm-hmm. was it was quite quite special and i feel like um, i really wanted quick answers and i actually wanted to go back to my i didn't want to go back but i really wanted to quickly settle down and it's i feel it's taken about 3 years yeah. to kind of find my own own person in terms of like uh, professionally doing the things that i'm doing right now i'm at osu so it's like a sister sister university i'm a full time faculty so i don't think in the big picture i'm that different so it's like coming back a full circle in some huh. way huh. but uh, it's been it's been a journey it's been a quest for true belonging and courage to stand alone which are the words of brene brown they sound really fancy but she's a really good writer and i really like reading reading things from her so one of the things that i liked was a chapter about how you let me try to find the chapter i'm looking for as i look it up so did you read this before or after you went to the rockies like hiking in the rockies i was reading it so I got it in 2019 September okay. of 2019 okay. and I read it over 3 months so mm-hmm. January of 2020 Yeah Well it's interesting cuz the wilderness into the wilderness I see the the wood and the the kind of the pictures on the book and it's like um it is a journey into semi unknown so a journey into you know and bravery along the way So cuz when you go to the Rockies and you don't have no idea what you're going into like Rocky Mountains, you know, um the first time you go it's a little unsettling cuz you don't know what you're getting into. But the more you go, the more you can can even go further, you know. So so anyway, I was just kind of curious if it was pre or post. Just a Rocky. little bit pre. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. strong back, soft front and a wild heart. Mm-hmm. I love this chapter. It's chapter 7 in the book where all too often our so-called strength comes from fear not love instead of having a strong back many of us have a defended front shielding a weak spine in other words we walk <laughs> around brittle and defensive trying to convey conceal our lack of confidence if we strengthen our backs metaphorically speaking and develop a spine that's flexible 
but sturdy, then we can risk having a front that's soft and open. Hmm. How can we give and accept care with strong back, soft front compassion, moving past fear into a place of genuine tenderness? I believe it comes about when we can be truly transparent, seeing the world clearly and letting the world see into us. This is a quote by Roshi Joan Halifax, which is the start of the chapter seven in the book. I really like the idea yeah. of just this idea of having a really strong moral and ethical back. It's kind of character, you know, like like who like, you are. When yeah, no like value. Around. Yeah, value. Yeah. Like that well, doesn't shift good. with the seasons that come and go in life. Well, in a, in a, in a synopsis or like in a summary, it's like if you don't know who you are, then you're always going to fight anybody that tries to find out who you are. So like if you don't have a strong back and have a, have a, have a centered, you know, moral compass or character or understanding of your purpose, then anybody that wants to get to know you, you're, you're kind of blocking them and you're, you don't like it. And, and even confrontation, I, I, a whole bunch of things when you're reading that come into my head because confrontation is hard, but when you have a strong back, it's not hard because you can let someone confront you in order to be stronger, you know? So anyway, and love, it mentioned love, which I, I think, man, love is a, I don't know if you can truly love without experiencing love, maybe like there's something unconditional about love that causes you to experience love. So, um, as I'm thinking about how I express love, a lot of the world is give and take transactional love. And a lot of love is, yeah. I'm going to interrupt you. Sure, interrupt me. As you're talking about love, I feel the most unconditional love we can get is from our mother. Yeah, no. And uh, I don't know why, it just seems like an important point to make before you go on. Because unconditional love that you experience from your mother is what you can give to the world. And you're not giving love back. I think the as a baby and as a child, you're understanding love in the context of someone unconditionally loving you and you're just expecting them to feed you, change you, clean you. And so you think that's love, but real love is when you grow up and realize, oh, they didn't have to do that. They did it with no return or reward. <laughs> and so then you can in turn love. And so I think that's what I'm talking about as far as unconditional love, a mother. Um, and it teaches you if you wake up one day to then in turn love others without return. Okay. I think we should take a minute to thank our mothers. Yes, we should. Because without them, we couldn't love. That's true. And our fathers. It's our first model. It's our first model of mothers love. Mothers and fathers yeah. and being nurtured is the way to nurture. Yeah. It's the first, first, uh, first model. That's good. Love you, mom. We did have Ray's mom in here, and I was trying to not put her on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, maybe we'll have her on the podcast. She says she swears no, but maybe one of these days. Well, because it's not it's not scary, but for some reason, it seems scary. So, no, I was just thinking through the. I mean, that quote in the beginning is phenomenal because I do think there's a sense in our world presently where people have very brittle backbones and it's because they've been beat down to not 
be individual, but also not to have purpose. And, and I'm not sure, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's purposeful or cynical or, or sinister, or if it just happens because of life. But once you figure out who you are and can stand strong in that, you know, in your moral, in your, in your character, then you can actually receive the vulnerability of other people. You know, so you can receive, you can be vulnerable to other people. Um, and I don't know if we know how to do that. Yeah, I think that's hard. Yeah. I, it's chapter seven, so it does take you on a journey. The book does take you on the journey. Now I'm going to have to read it. So the chapter one is everywhere and nowhere. It's I feel like I belong everywhere and I belong nowhere, which is how I understand the first chapter in my journey. Yeah. The second chapter is that is, chameleon. Sorry to interrupt you. Is that because we learn how to basically hide in plain sight? No, because you can you share a universal humanity with everyone. Yeah, I know. And yet but, you're all alone. Right, right. You, but that's you, what I'm saying is like because you haven't, it's because you're in this thing trying to figure out who you are that you're just in the collective. And no, so you're, you're lonely. always connect, connected to the world. Oh, you are. But then we have this thing internally that no and one you're knows. you're always lonely. Yeah, yeah. You're never, I mean, you are, you come Because no one alone. truly understands who you, I mean, knows you truly. I mean, let alone yourself. So right. I feel like right. Asking, That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Asking someone else to understand you is a I big know. ask. And let it, let it, I mean, walk into the wilderness and like if someone just dropped you in a wilderness and you didn't know where you were, that's what it's like. Yeah. So the first chapter is everywhere and nowhere. Mm. The second is quest for true belonging, which is you belong to everyone and you belong to no one. Mm. The third is kind of the loneliness crisis, which mm -hmm. is almost a spiritual crisis. Loneliness is a spiritual crisis. And I've read this book a while ago, so it's it might, some of things might slip. Some things might be slipping me, but I had thought that a podcast yeah. about this book was what I wanted to do. Well, now I need to read it, and then yeah, we'll you do need a to part read it two. again, and then we can do part two. Yeah, yeah we'll do part two. And That'd be great. Yeah, so the third, the fourth one, this is, I think, what you will really love, Ray, is people are hard to hate up close. Move in. <laughs> That's real good. So I think you would... Uh, Until you really get to know them, then you really don't like them. No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm no, kidding. It's a joke. I think it's the humanity of us. <laughs> well, it's the, you know, sometimes um, familiarity breeds contempt. That's like a quote. And what it is, the more you get to know, like when you marry someone. Like before you say I do and you move in together and all that stuff, you're like, oh, they could do no wrong. And they hung the moon and the stars and I'm so grateful. And then you move in and they do their toothpaste different and they do their food different and they don't cook like you cook. And it's just a, you begin to say, oh, they're not like me, but that's beautiful if you can see it. But sometimes it just makes you upset because you're like, mm, I don't like them very much. <laughs> Maybe it's a journey. Right. Where you have to Definitely. be upset. Because you're separate, you're not like one human being with your partner. Right, right. So you have to separate. Well, and it's the two becoming one or the process of loving one another and figuring out what that is. And if we don't have one another, we can't love one another. So you can't learn basic things in life if you don't have other people around you, even people that are difficult. For sure. So I think everything just in the abstract 
in the mountains solving <laughs> world crisis does not seem to be does not seem to be the right way for me so the chapter 4 is people are hard to hate up a uh, hate that's real good it's then, a good title yeah I, i i should have read the little passage below it the chapter 5 is speak truth to bullshit be civil which i really like because sometimes you are trying to protect people by not being truthful so i really like just owning your truth what does that mean so let me read the quote and then we can sure. talk a little bit about it sure. someone who lies and someone who tells the truth are playing on opposite sides so to speak in the same game each responds to the fact as he understands them although the response of the one guided by authority of truth while the response of the other defi- that defies other defies that authority refuses to meet its demands so there is someone who is lying and someone who's coming from authority of truth the bullshitter ignores these demands altogether he does not reject the authority of truth as a liar does and oppose himself in to it he pays no attention to it at all by virtue of this bullshit is greater enemy of truth than lies are huh. so it's kind of profound and i always have a a little bit of a hard time wrapping my mind around this one so we may have to like put it up on so our so that in the context of your 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 statement right before you read it which is embrace i don't think you said it this way so i have to remember what you said not defend your truth but embrace or stand i don't what word did own. you use I said own. own so own your truth so in that context or in like what do you mean by that because i think in my in my career there seems to be a bunch of different truths and so it could be individual but then there's a collective truth or reality so we see it in our polit- political system we see it in in the way the uh, medical field works we see it in education where there's always there's someone that says this is the way to do it in truth and yet individually people experience it differently and so that's what i'm i'm wondering what you mean by own your truth i think it's a hard thing and maybe the definition also changes with with truth because sometimes you think this you truth is is it a is it a fixed thing sometimes like the sun is kind of bright today that's my truth today tomorrow it's going to be cloudy that's my truth tomorrow so owning my truth would be kind of being humble and just paying attention to what's the present moment bringing in its entire entirety and not needing or having to share it mm-hmm. but really just just being able to see it for what it is so is your truth or your experience what you're experiencing right now like being honest with yourself enough to say huh oh, it's kind of a gloomy day today and i feel gloomy and then you go and see somebody how you doing i'm doing awesome everything's great and that's really not true but you don't have to share your truth with everyone i agree i agree but not as, long, as long as you're to... not deceiving yourself You know yeah, and you do not have to make up a truth that works for your friend just because right that will make them feel good right you do not have to 
maybe you can be silent when you don't want to hurt someone mm-hmm. but there is a cost of silence because pe- people will interpret your silence mm-hmm. people will put their words in your silence and say this is what you said so the cost of silence is mm-hmm. i mean that's the cost of a of a witness right sometimes it's good to be a witness and you can say i don't need to share who i am but then people will say this is so there there is a cost to silence mm-hmm. there is a cost to not owning it in a way yeah people may not be able to hear what your truth is but sometimes when you're silent i feel like that does an injustice to well especially if someone's close to you yes if if people are close to you that's an injustice to the relationship yep if if somehow you let people create your narrative without standing your ground and that's kind of the brittle spine as well where yeah. you are I saying the same thing. i am alone in my mountain i don't need anyone to know my truth i can live with my truth and i don't need anyone else but at the same time you are letting people create your voice mm-hmm. and that's so i don't know i i think well your your spine is so fragile that you can't handle someone like you're okay to be moldable in someone else's voice instead of having a having a backbone let's say that would that would stand for what you believe and and i think there's right ways wrong ways hateful ways <laughs> gracious ways to do it mm-hmm. it, re- it reminds me of a proverb in scripture that says um kisses from a or sorry wounds from a friend are better than lavish kisses from an enemy mm-hmm. and it's it's so hard because that goes into the how well are you known and are you known well enough where someone can come in a loving way confront you mm-hmm. um that's that's the that's truth so if someone so like if i feel that i see you and you're walking down a path that would be dangerous and i'm just like oh, i'm just going to let them do their thing even though they're going to get hurt but if i know you and i'm close to you and i love you well then i'm going to step over and say hey there there's something i see going on is it okay like for example if you and i were up in the rockies we're standing on the the rock looking over uh the lake and you step to the left and you're going to fall off a cliff and i'm just like well that's just her life she'll do what she wants to do or if i'm standing there i'll grab your arm and be like hey swap and don't step over the left cuz you'll fall off you know so i think it could be drastic that seems extreme sometimes but i think we are silent and our silence doesn't really help Some, but sometimes silence is okay yeah i think it really maybe it is a core value of when to be silent and when to mm-hmm. own your voice and who do you own it to mm-hmm. right you don't need to like tell it to the world like instagram it to the world because <laughs> <laughs> yeah um because that's that's that the, the 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 world always views you through the lens that the collective mm. uh, collective lens is very different than a than a connection mm. so i True. feel i feel like uh, it's it's so nuanced but i do feel like holding hands with strangers which is the next chapter in the book that's chapter 6 and then coming to strong back hmm. soft front and wild heart so that's hmm. kind of kind of seven chapters in the book that i feel um, have been have been 
have been kind of metaphorical in a way that I keep coming back to. So I read this book uh, about three years ago. So some of it is gone. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I do think that the last chapter really brings home the the value that I have of kind of not wavering from your core. Yeah. And the core is maybe just who you are. It could be to... You could be shy, you could be a very private person, you could uh, have a value of being someone who helps others, you could just be there for your family, like be a mother, be a father. You could just do your job with with 100%. Like Amea, my husband, has this uh, passion of carpentry and he is 100% present for the project that is at hand and maybe that's kind of his strong back. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a wavering back where he's going to waver with the, he'll be waver with the details of how the cutting board is going to look like and because it's 20 extra minutes, I won't sand the surface or something like that. So I feel like it might apply to different people in really different ways. But uh, that's kind of the core. And I feel to be allowed to have that in a relationship, which is like to be really able to stand your ground. Mm -hmm. You don't need to stand your ground with every friend and every acquaintance and every every statement you make. But Right. Well, that's a give and take of relationship. What uh, what do you do, or what do you, what's your opinion if you go on a journey to to find your core, let's say, or find like who you are, and then you realize you don't really know who you are, and so then you're on this like you who you thought you were is a fake, and so now you're on a journey of saying, okay, so this is what I really am, and who I really am, I don't really like. <laughs> so, how do you go about? Is there is there some community is there some friendship is there some mentoring is there some spiritual experience is there some you know awakening that happens that kind of brings you to oh this is the journey i need to be on to develop the best me that i was created to be mm, i think it's a lifelong journey of trying to really find meaning of who who you were meant to be because you are a composite of the love that you've experienced from love and nurturing that you've experienced from your family. So there's this really, really uh, famous quote from a child therapist, Salma Freiburg. She says there are angels and ghosts in the nursery and you carry the angels and you carry the ghosts. And so to deny that there are ghosts in the nursery is to, to, den do, to kind of deny that they serve they serve a purpose in making who you are so i think you walking on this journey is kind of like like just going along and finding who you are i, I don't think there is any anything wrong or right when you are walking this path but there's a but there is a fracture and i don't know if it's society that has has defined it, but there is a fracture and there are people that we identify as behaving badly. <laughs> and uh, we have a whole reform system and a whole, pff, I mean, 
probably psychiatry is based on us figuring out who we are and some things that need to be corrected get corrected you know so where so that's where i'm saying is like if you find yourself on a path and you are well, completely detrimental detrimental to society and you realize that you haven't been living out who you're created to be there's a change that has to happen you know mm-hmm. and because I, I mean we have criminals and we have people that are on a genocidal mission and there's people that just want to destroy humanity so i don't know if it's i don't know if it whittles down basically to um you know life and death you know what i'm saying it's like are you pursuing life with your life or are you pursuing death with your life and i'm not even saying you're killing people i'm saying you're like destructive hmm. so and so there's got to be some some way or someone that that defines that yeah i think uh, i'm going to read a little bit of the next book sure which is the gifts of imperfection letting go of who you think you're supposed to be and embracing who you are and the first introduction talks about wholehearted living Wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, the compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I'm imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that i also have brave and wor- that i'm also brave and worthy of love and belonging so i feel like we could go right into this second book uh-huh. with the question that you asked of how to fix it and i don't think fixing is quite the right way of looking at it because if you're saying that this is a journey then there is no fixing the journey it's not like the path is broken it's not like the bridge is ruptured it's you find yourself and that's probably more self compassionate than saying i'm all broken i'm all a i'm a mistake i should not have been there are so many things so many times that children are made to feel that way with with parents who are not who are not able to support them i see children in foster care system who have been through maybe 10 15 20 foster care placements and every place tells them that they are not enough mm-hmm. because they had to move on but do you think that's that's where i think i guess that's where i'm getting at because in the context of someone that can read that that first opening line is someone that's already in a place where they feel safe enough to even ask those questions because if someone's in a refugee situation or someone's in you know home experiencing homelessness or someone is is uh, food insecure and they have all these these challenges how can they even stop and think i am enough because life has not shown them that you know so there, i think there is like a disconnect it's almost like when you're in a position to ask questions you're in a a better position you know that's a privilege i agree right so if you're thinking of the maslows i'm not really thinking of anything i just think about <laughs> people that i interact with every day there's some people that are just not in a position to ask that question so there is a hierarchy of needs that's i i like this triangle mm-hmm. where you start at the base with just physiological needs of maslow yeah maslow yeah breathing yeah. safety mm-hmm. actually no even physiological is breathing food water then comes safety and security mm-hmm. and the right to kind of ask some questions the next one comes love and belonging so you have self compassion you have people who are compassionate around you 
that let you ask these questions or you have to be at least self-compassionate mm -hmm. to ask that question. And then there is the next need is self-esteem where you have confidence, achievement, respect of others, the need to be a unique individual. So kind of being on your own path, your own journey, saying you're imperfect, but still being okay with it. Right. And then the last one, which is probably the hardest is self-actualization where you are thinking about morality, creativity, you can be spontaneous, you're accepting of yourself and others, you experience purpose and meaning and inner potential in your life. So I think that's kind of a triangle and we are not born at the top of the triangle. Mm. And because uh, I, I feel like uh, it's, Kinder to think that we have many lifetimes to figure this all out. I don't know. That uh, if I'm not able to figure it out in this lifetime, there might be another one. And I wonder if the triangle, like this book, and I don't know if Brene was targeting a specific, uh, you know, uh, level in that triangle. But if you if you have time to stop and think and ask those questions, you're obviously not at the bottom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and and do you think it's the responsibility of us, like individuals? You know, we talked about love and unconditional love. Well, some people are never gonna even ex experience self actualization unless they experience unconditional love. And maybe our responsibility for others and in society is to give unconditional love so that that person may have a chance to go up the triangle, if we want to put it that way. Because if you've never experienced it and you've grown up in an abusive home or a, a difficult situation and you're just trying to survive, you can't ever think it. You know, you can't think about self-actualization. You're just trying to survive today, you know? So I think, I, don't, I wonder who she targeted in this book. Um, well, you know, it's written for everyone because the chapters are really different. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really more about self-compassion yeah. and gifts of imperfection and learning to swim in like dirty water by just the sheer act of right. will. Right. So I feel like it's it's really written for, it is really written for everyone and anyone. Uh -huh. It's a, a, like the chapters are kind of starting with embracing yourself, exploring the power of love, belong, be, belonging and being enough. And I feel like you can always find a cohort that makes you feel enough. Like if you're a painter, you might, you can always find 20 people in the world that like <laughs> your kind of painting. And Trying to find them, that's the hard thing. Yeah, well. <laughs> out of 8 billion people. <laughs> 20 people out of 8 billion, the odds are high. It's like winning the lottery. <laughs> I just wonder if there's so much of humanity that's fractured in our experiences. And I'm not, this is a great, I, I bought both these books right now. One will be here today and one will be here tomorrow in the, in the gift of Amazon, you know? Um, but it's like, there is a, it's hard to, it's hard to talk to a child that is hungry about math. And we know they need math so they can succeed in reading, but it's hard to do that if they're hungry. And so that's what I'm saying. There's some building blocks along the way. And if someone is, uh, my, main, my main question, I'm not trying to be difficult. My main question is just. You are difficult. I am I don't a difficult think... person. I know. I know. Yes, you but are. But I'm okay with that. But what it is, is like, You're how embracing, can... aren't you, embra are you... <laughs> You're embracing, embracing that I'm a pain. your own difficultness. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, 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 it's hard. And I, I, maybe the bottom line for me is there's not one approach to everything. 
it's like there's eight billion different ways to do things. Let me now read there's something. a collective, you know, there's a collective that I think we need to learn to function in for sure. And I think we've lost some of the some of the collective nature of our world, you know. But yeah, or it's just the change. I feel like we just have a different season in our history. But uh, I'm going to talk about shame, shame resilience mm. 101. Mm. Here are the first three things that you need to know about shame. We all have it. Shame is universal and one of the most primitive human emotions that we experience. The only people who don't experience shame lack the capacity for empathy and human connection. We are all afraid to talk about shame. The less we talk about shame, the more control it has over our lives. Shame is basically the fear of being unlovable. In the total, it's, to, it's the total opposite of owning our story and feeling worthy. In fact, the definition of shame that Rene has developed is shame is this intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So I feel like that's something so profound and and shame is so elusive because as soon as you think you've figured out where your shame is it disappears so you can't like you know it when you feel it or see it but then as soon as you identify it it's it moves and shifts um so it's i don't like I the don't, shadow emotion it is it's like holding on to mercury you know if you ever i don't you probably didn't do that because you're not as dumb as i am but you can put mercury in your hand it's a liquid and it just falls right out you can't hold on to it or trying to keep water in your hand, you know, it just, it just goes away and then it appears somewhere else. And that's the, for me, that's my, been my experience with shame is that it, as soon as you think you figured it out, you, <laughs> you, you, it does something different to you, you know? Yeah. You know, it's the shame is also a feeling of not being enough, right? Oh yeah. And there are multiple times in the day you feel that you, you are trying to cook and you burn your food, you're, you, you are trying to drive and you bump into a, a <laughs> wall. Uh, you are trying to have a conversation and uh, you cannot connect. So there is this, or maybe you're meeting someone and it's hard to meet them in a way that's true meeting. Mm -hmm. So there is, there's just so much of what happens around us that's, and some of it's out of our control. Like, I mean, if, if you don't have a chemical connection with someone, good luck, good luck um, connecting. Yeah. You know, um, if you have a certain personality that is, um, you know, embarrassed, publicly embarrassed about things, well, good luck. You know, it's, and so not everybody can do, like shame will show up in different people's lives different ways is mm -hmm. basically what I'm saying. I mean, we're not all the same. So, um, and I, I can make a fool of myself and I never feel shame. Now, am I embarrassed? Yeah, but it's not the same as being shame. Shame is almost crippling sometimes, you know. Um, but there's other things that would that would fill me with shame, you yeah. know. But mainly when I fall short, you know. Of even an expectation, it could be your own or someone else. Right, yeah. right. So I'm going to end okay. by the last thing from the second book, which is Cultivating Gratitude and Joy. Uh. letting go of scarcity and the fear of dark. And there is a definition 
which is by Adela Rogers St. John's of Joy that seems uh, to be a good point to pause. Joy seems to, joy seems to me a step beyond happiness. Happiness is a sort of atmosphere you can live in sometimes when you're lucky. Joy is a light that fills you with hope, faith, and love. Hmm. So we're going to maybe end today on that note. Great. Thank you very much for listening and walking on this journey with us. We'll see you next time.